words, he, that would be Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Please be seated. If you are visiting with us, let us say that we are grateful to have you and thankful that you're here. Hopefully you've gotten one of those visitor's packs. In that you would find an attendance card. If you will pass those toward the aisles at this time, we have some gentlemen who will come through and pick those things up. That gives us an opportunity to know that you were here, to mark you down. We're so grateful to have you here with us. Stick around afterward. Let us get to know you. If we don't, let us strengthen those bonds. If we do, and we've had a lot of people here with us over this weekend and even last weekend uh, who have a lot of strong ties here, and so we're grateful to have you back. Let me say to you, as I say most to everyone who we have strong ties with, that the city of Hot Springs sells houses every day. So you can move back, and we'll take you back. We would love to be able to uh, have you here with us. We're going to look at, a, at a, an odd statement today. And if you are not from the deep south, uh, that second word may not mean much to you. But here's the idea. Baptism ain't conversion. No matter how you slice it or no matter how you look at it, they're just not the same thing. There is a plan of salvation God has given to us through His Word. As a matter of fact, it is through His Word that we, we look and we realize that man has a problem that he can't do anything with. When you look at the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, what you find is uh, an entire race of people sinning all at one time. And now they have a problem with which they have no answer. The problem is their souls have been separated from God and they have no answer to get them back. It would be God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 who said, well, I'm going to going to send someone who will bridge that gap. We look in Genesis chapter 4, and we see the next person that we read about is uh, Cain and Abel. And you realize that Abel was killed because of Cain's jealousy, because of his sacrifice. Now we look at the entirety of the human race that we read about within the Bible, and we find that Satan's got all them. How does Genesis 3.15 ever come into the world when Satan has all of them? As that Old Testament unfolds, we begin to see the line and the bloodline of Jesus begin to narrow down. We begin to see it narrow down through a man by the name of Abraham and then through a man by the name of David until there is that one bright, shining day of hope found for us in Matthew chapter 1. And as we read through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about this one's life and his death and his resurrection. 
We read from there into the book of Acts, not very far, and we read about the establishment of that church that he promised only in Matthew, or, or rather in Matthew chapter 16 and many other places. And as we look at that particular church, here's what we read. It's, it's necessary for man to hear what God has to say in order to be added to that church. Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. So then faith cometh by hearing. Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's not it. It would require then that man believe what God has to say. And this, this is probably the most difficult of all of them. And here's the reason why. If I say I believe, according to John chapter 8 and verse number 24, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. If I say that I believe, then... I'm going to have to do something with that. But if I don't, then eventually I'm still going to have to do something with that. Would you like to take care of that now or later? I'll give you a cheat sheet. The answer is now. Today is the day of salvation. But that's not the only place where God would tell us hearing is necessary and, and believing is necessary. See, he would go, Jesus would go on further to say in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repent, changing, understanding what is wrong and changing from those things. Having a different mindset about sin which would result in different actions. If I want to be added to Christ's church, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse number 32 and 33, well then, I'll confess him as the Messiah. The one who's been promised since Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, that Messiah, the one who has been looked for throughout the Old Testament, the one who Andrew would come to Peter and say, we have found the Messiah, John chapter 1. If I'm willing to do all those things, am I willing to be baptized? According to Acts chapter 2 and verse 30, 38 there, in water for the remission of my sins. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can any of us who are dead to sin continue therein? And it would be Jesus who would say, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to be a member of my church, if you're going to be a part of God's family, it's going to be necessary that you be faithful unto your death for the laws of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10, toward the end there, Jesus would say, uh, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. That's God's plan of salvation for mankind as seen throughout his Bible. It's one way for one race, race of people with one purpose leading to one direction. That whole direction is from here to heaven. That's the point. That's, that's the point of it all. However, it has been noted throughout the years... And I've been associated with the Lord's Church, luckily, for 
45 years going on 46. And here has been what has been taught for the last few years or more. You see any difference in that slide and the last slide? Mankind has to hear, sure, and believe, repent, and confess that Jesus is the Christ. But you've got to be baptized. Have we, have, do, you, do you see the difference? How much emphasis have we as the church of Christ put on being baptized over everything else? Who cares if you heard, really, or, or believe, or even repent, or maybe you confess or not, but as long as you've been baptized, as long as you've been added to the role, as long as your name is written somewhere, then you're a member of the church and you're obviously saved. Brethren, let me tell you something. That ain't but one hair away from once saved, always saved. And that is a, an adulteration of a, a, a um, Calvinistic principle of, of, uh, of being saved and being appointed to being saved. And the idea of once saved, always saved is once I've obeyed God's plan of salvation, once I've done what he has required, then there's no way I can lose it. Really because what we do as a group, is we stress the idea of being baptized, not caring at all if you've changed your lifestyle, and say, because your name is here, everything's hunky-dory. You tell me how that's any different. I'll wait. It's not any different. What does the Bible teach about it? Does the Bible teach baptism? Absolutely. Does it teach confession? Absolutely. And repentance? Sure. Belief? Yes. Hearing? What does the Bible teach? Let's look at the idea of baptism, at least for a few moments. That funny-looking red word there is a Koine Greek word. It's a verb there, baptizo. It means literally to dip or to immerse, submerge, or plunge. Let me see if I can get you to understand the idea. How many of you like Oreo cookies. Not the diet ones, those are the regulars. I like either the double stuff, which should be regular, or the mega stuff. Have you, I don't know if you've had that or not. That's a little slice of heaven. But if you'll take that Oreo cookie by the top and you dip it into milk, which is acceptable, or chocolate milk, which is even better, if you'll dip it in there, there's a, a crescent shape at the top to where it's still dry because you don't want to get your hand wet. Unless you're a savage, probably like Derek, and you just dunk it all the way in there, don't you? Now, if you'll take an, a uh, fork and stick it into that cream, now you can dip, dip the whole cookie in there. It will soften and you can eat it. All, I mean like you have some raisin off of a fork and everything. When you stick that fork in there and you completely cover that cookie, you have baptized it. <laughs> that's, that's the word. We, we think of it strictly in a religious sense, but take it out of that religious sense, that's exactly the word. 
It is completely covered. It is completely submerged. It has been completely dipped into that milk. And it doesn't mean anything else. It doesn't mean sprinkle. It doesn't mean pour. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. It simply means what it says. And so if baptism is that, what does that have to do with, with my life as I'm drying my hair off? Interestingly, nothing. But look at this word, or baptism rather. Let's continue that idea. Baptism by itself, without hearing and without really believing or really confessing or really repenting, baptism itself is not worth the time or the effort or the gas burned to get over here to do it. It's not worth it. Baptism by itself is not worth it. You ever tried to wash a dog? You ever tried to get it completely under the water? Better yet, do that with a cat, see what happens. <laughs> Is that cat or dog saved from their sin? Well, they were completely under. It doesn't mean anything without the idea of converting the life. Now, don't move too far off of this point. I want you to hear this. Are you ready? Baptism doesn't really mean anything if you don't change. It's the key. Conversion of life is the key to salvation. It's not baptism. It's conversion. And when I am converted properly, I'll do whatever God asks me to do. Let's look at the idea of conversion. It's coined a Greek verb that means to fully turn about. Uh, implied in this particular verb form, uh, it means to turly, fully turn about without. Now notice this. See how it's in dark and it's underlined? That's going to be important. Without the option of return. Without the option of return. That's to convert. To fully change everything after the obedience of baptism or through the process of salvation, of hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized and living faithfully, changing those things fully without the option of returning. Imagine if you could, getting on a plane here in Little Rock, flying to the Atlanta International Airport. Flying from there to Istanbul. Does anybody speak Turkish? To Istanbul. You have a round-trip ticket in your hand, and you walk off of that plane, and you set that ticket on fire, never to return to the United States of America. Now you have the idea at least a little, 
of going from one place to another without a fallback. So many people look to obey God simply to say, well, if this doesn't work back or work out, then I'll go back. Oh, my goodness. What are you saying? What are you going to go back to? You know what that lets me know? It's not much of a belief system in God. Not much of repentance on changing my mind about what sin is because I'm willing to go back into it. I'm not real sure if you would confess Jesus as the Christ. If he can't save me here, I guess I'll just go out and save myself. Mm. Brethren, we have lost the idea of conversion. What we say is, just be baptized and sit right down exactly the way you are. Ain't going to work. If you could have been saved exactly where you were, why would you even move? There's a difference between baptism and conversion. Notice this. Conversions are seen in Acts chapter 2. Do you know why? you know why it starts in Acts chapter 2? This is an easy, easy one. This is when the doors of the church are opened. No one can be converted to the church before the church is opened, right? Shake your head this way. So in Acts chapter 2, as Michael read for us just a moment ago, in verse number 40 and 41, we see some 3,000 being converted to the church. Well, what did they do? They did whatever was necessary. How do you know that, preacher? Because look at verse number 37. Then when Peter stopped, that crowd started and said, What must we do? Here's the implication, to satisfy the wrath of God that is against us for killing his son. You think they were converted? What do we have to do in order to, to stop God's wrath? That's the question they're asking. They're not asking, do we have to be baptized or not? They're asking, what is it that we have to do? And this is the first time, by the way, in the writing of the Bible and in human history, where the idea of remission of sin is used in the present tense. It's available, Acts chapter 2, it's available right now if you'll convert. It's in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4, we see about 5,000 men being added and converted to the church. Now, I am not a mathematician by trade, but I think 3,000 people plus 5,000 people is 8,000 people, right? I, I'm, I'm right on board there, right? On Acts chapter 8, what we read about is this particular church finds itself in some sort of a prayer. And it finds itself in some sort of pressure cooker to where the church leaves Jerusalem and the preachers stay there, which may be the only time that ever happened in history. But you read Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4, here's what you read. Then they that were scattered abroad, this church, went everywhere doing what? Preaching the Word. See, brethren, when that person is converted, 
they can tell their friend and neighbor what they did to convert, and that person can do it too. It is really just that easy. But it requires conversion, which will lead to baptism. It requires that. Let's go on through the book of Acts a little while. What about Acts chapter 9? Saul of Tarsus has letters where he can go to Damascus, and he's going to find any, now here's a phrase, any of that way. Those are Christians. Remember, we were first called Christians at Antioch in Acts chapter 11. This is Acts chapter 9. That's before, right? Shake or nod. There you are. Glad to see you today. Before Acts chapter 11, Saul of Tarsus is going to Damascus. He has letters to get any of that way and bring them back to Jerusalem bound for prison. Now, what do you think his job was going to be when he went into Damascus? Round them up, take them to jail. Toward the end of Acts chapter 9, what do you think Saul of Tarsus' job is when he leaves? To preach the gospel and to teach people of the, the saving power of Jesus Christ. Now, what happened? What happened from the beginning of Acts chapter 9 to the end of Acts chapter 9? There was a conversion that took place. There was a man whose life was changed. And because it was changed, his actions changed. The key to Acts chapter 9 is not the baptism of Saul, but rather the conversion of Saul. What about Acts chapter 10 and 11? You want to see an apostle be converted? And you say, wait a minute, preacher, I don't, I don't think you can say that. You, an apostle's already converted, right? Not this one. He's having difficulty with Jew-Gentile relationships. By the way, if you want to boil this down to its simplest matter, Peter has a bit of a race problem. That's where it lies. That's not a 21st century problem. Peter's been taught all his life, if you're not Jew, you're not anything. To which God's going to say, Peter, you know I love you, but you are wrong as wrong can be. Peter will find himself in the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, begging the folks around him, somebody find a reason why we shouldn't baptize this guy. They can't find one. Peter walks out of Cornelius' house with a different outlook on Gentile people. Does he still struggle with race? Oh, yeah. How do you know that? You remember when Paul withstood him to the face? And his, his pulling away from the Gentiles was so bad that it brought uh, Barnabas with him? But Acts chapter 13 through the end of the book, when the entirety of Asia Minor begins to be converted for Jesus the Christ. Converted, 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 converted. You're going to read that time after time after time after time in the book of Acts. Why? Because that is the key. Without that, here's what we have. 
They had a bunch of soggy pews. That's all you have. Timothy, he's taught by his mother. He's converted into Christ. Titus, converted into Christ. What about 1 and 2 Corinthians? They got any problems in Corinth? No, not a bit, do they? You read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you read about a man who... I hope I'm reading this right. When I read that this man from 1 Corinthians 5 has his father's wife as his, I hope I'm reading that he has his stepmother. Unfortunately, that's the best of that scenario. By the time we read about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when he is converted, when he changes, when everything goes right, when he begins to follow after God's plan, he straightens everything out. Read that case by case by case in Hebrews chapter 11. You read about men and women there who will read places in the Old Testament had faults and flaws. Moses is a murderer. True or false? That's not where God focused, is it? When he was, when he was converted... When he changed and began to follow after God, now we see something different. What about the book of Philemon? You'll read about a slave by the name of Onesimus. He belongs to Philemon. He ran away. While he was away, he ran into a guy named Paul. Paul taught him the gospel and said, you're going to have to go back. If I'm Onesimus, you know what? I don't like that plan. I don't want to go back. I want to be saved by God because that's going to be the most important. I want to have God's favor upon me because I'm following after what he says. But I don't want to be a slave anymore. To which Paul is going to answer this. You're not going back to be a slave. You're going back to work for your brother. Because you've converted. Because you're different. Because you're not just baptized. You're different. Unless you convert. Without the possibility of going back. You've not done anything. You've not changed anything. You've not sacrificed anything. You've not fall, fallen into line with what God would say. You've, you've simply been dumped. When you put God's plan together, hearing and believing and repenting and confessing and being baptized and living faithfully unto Him for your lifetime. Then 
you have a case of conversion and salvation by God. Until you do that, you don't have anything. It's necessary for us to understand that conversion is the key, not baptism. Conversion is the key. Unless you convert to Jesus the Christ, you'll be lost. Now, we've spent this whole time talking about God's plan of salvation and, and conversion for the, the one who has never been obedient to it. And I hope after just a few moments, you know what that plan is. I don't have, does anybody need me? I will repeat it again if you need it. There's one other thing that we have to talk about that perhaps we, we haven't touched on. After you do that, after you convert to, to God's plan, you don't lose the ability to choose. You still have freedom of choice, and sometimes we choose to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we choose to leave. Sometimes we choose to act differently on the outside of this wall than we do on the inside of the wall. Brother or sister, let me, let me encourage you. Stand up, get out of the pig pen, come home. Please, we're waiting for you. God is waiting for you, ready to take you back. Stop making those bad choices and start making good ones. Live for Jesus the Christ. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, today is the day to convert. If you've not made the right decisions, today's the day to come back home. And do that right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.